The joy of the Lord is my strength. I rest in the Lord and I wait for him. I rest in the Lord and I wait for him. I rest in the Lord and I wait for him. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Okay, we've studied Ken taught bibliology to start with, and then we looked at theology proper, and then Sean taught about Christology, and last, Alan brought the doctrine, the Bible teaching about angels, angelology. Today we start a new study, and that's anthropology, the study of man. I hope that our study today is something of interest and that we all learn together. Anthropology, of course, as you see at the top of your page, is a compound of two Greek words. Anthropos, which means human, and logos, which means word. Thus, it means words or teachings about humankind. That's what goes in the blanks. Teachings and humankind. In this study, we'll examine teachings about the origin, that's today, the composition, next week, Lord willing, and then the fall of man, the redemption of man, and the future of mankind, which will take us, it looks like, five weeks. However, sandwiched right in the middle is homardiology, and Sean is planning to teach that session, because that will be next after anthropology. So, we will start kind of with a rush here, if you will. I'm going to uh, take a few things out. I do have an overhead that we'll be looking at in just a few moments. What are some of the concepts in this world about the origin of man? Okay. There are many, and there are more than we could cover in a whole semester, if you will, but I'll say this. Some of the major ones are, an example would be the Hindus, so that's why I chose that. Hindus believe that this current life is one link in a chain of lives. The point of origin of this chain cannot be determined. They don't know when it started, but they somehow believe that there is this continuing chain. The chain of births and deaths is called samsara. According to Hinduism, this current life is merely one link in a chain of lives that extends extends far into the past and projects far into the future. The point of origin of this chain cannot be determined. The process of our involvement in the universe, the chain of births and deaths, is called samsara by them, and samsara is caused by a lack of knowledge of our true self and our resultant desire to fulfillment outside ourselves. We continue to embody ourselves or be reborn, in this infinite and eternal universe as a result of these unfulfilled desires. The chain of births lets us resume the pursuit. The law that governs samsara is called 
karma. You knew that. Each birth and death we undergo is determined by the balance sheet of our karma. That is, in accordance with the actions performed and dispositions acquired in the past. Karma is a crucial Hindu concept. According to the doctrine of karma, the present condition in life is the consequence of the actions of previous lives. The choices made in the past directly affect one's condition in this life. And the choices made today and thereafter will have consequences for future lives in samsara. That is a Hindu basic idea of the origins of man. Their concept of anthropology, if you will. What about the Buddhists, by the way, they are, they stem from similar philosophies. Back in India and then now in China, the Buddhists teach a concept that a person is only a, are you ready for this, temporary combination of skandhas or aggregates, and the aggregates are more like your karma that you put together in this life anyway, or aggregates in a stream of renewed and always changing existences. They say, and I'll read it, Buddhism analyzes human existence as made up of five aggregates or bundles, skandhas, the material body, that's one, feelings, that's another, perceptions, predispositions or karmic tendencies, and then consciousness. A person is only a temporary combination of these aggregates, which are subject to continual change. This is a a key to their idea of anthropology. Are you ready? No one remains the same for any two consecutive moments. Moments. Buddhists deny that the aggregates, individually or in combination, may be considered a permanent, independently existing self or soul, that they call Atman. Indeed, they regard it as a mistake to conceive of any lasting unity behind the elements that constitute an individual. Buddha himself taught the doctrine of Anatman, or the denial of a permanent soul. It's always changing. The doctrine of Anatman made it necessary for the Buddha to reinterpret the Indian idea of repeated rebirth, which is Hinduism, okay? So he reinterpreted it later in the cycle of phenomenal existence. It's just a phenomenon. I mean, it is not actual or real, and they deny that. Their concept of causation teaches that ignorance in a previous life creates a tendency for a combination of aggregates to develop. Did you catch that? Their concept of causation teaches that ignorance in a previous life creates a tendency for a combination of aggregates to develop. These, in turn, cause the mind and senses to operate It starts them going. Sensations result, which lead to craving, 
and a clinging to existence. This condition triggers the process of becoming once again and producing a renewed cycle of birth, old age, and death. What is posited is a stream of renewed existences. And so here is the uh, picture, if you will, of the Buddhist's <laughs> wheel of life, okay? The wheel of life. And I did, I typed this up. The wheel of life, also known as the wheel of law, depicts the cyclical nature of life according to Buddhism. In this wall painting, the artist shows the animal, which represents death holding the wheel. Right up there, and his hands, I suppose down here anyway, are up there with the claws. Anyway, um, the three cardinal sins depicted in, the, in symbolic form make up the center of the wheel. The cock symbolizes passion, the pig, stupidity, and the snake, hatred. Surrounding the sins are those who fall prey to bad karma on the right and those with good karma on the left. The six spheres of existence make up the next circle. The wheel, like the Buddha's search for truth, culminates in the outermost circle, which depicts the 12 links in the chain of causation. <clears throat> so, there is their view of anthropology in a nutshell. Much different than ours. <clears throat> the next one is the Muslims, and not long ago we did view a video uh, in Sunday evening about Islam, and so we'll just... I'm not going to spend much time on this. The Muslims insist that man was created by Allah. That's number the third bullet down under the origin of man. Allah, from a clot of blood. Not the dust of the ground by Elohim God. Though they accept the Pentateuch and Moses' writings because they consider Moses a prophet, they have... They insist that it's not from the dust of the ground, like we'll see in a little while, but from a clot of blood. I have the question, where did the clot of blood come from? You know? All right. You got that. Let's go on to Christian science. This one is even more bizarre. <laughs> Christian science claims that man is only a spirit and not physical being. Spirit and physical go in the two blanks. Christian science claims that man is only a spirit and not a physical being. The concept of physical matter is... Can anybody guess what goes in there? What's that? Illusion. An illusion, that's correct. Good guess, Valerie. Illusion. All is infinite mind without beginning or end. How many of you have sung Row, Row, Row Your Boat before? <laughs> a whole bunch of us have. How does it end? Life is but a dream. That's the concept of Christian science. You know, we, we did study a little bit about Dianetics and the uh, Scientology in one of our evening services. And that L. Ron Hubbard really taught some bizarre stuff too. This is Mary Baker Eddy. Well, actually, here's her full name. Yes, Juanetta? You're pointing forward. Yes, Sean? I think you're headed into it. I was wondering 
I have not heard of one specifically between L. Ron Hubbard's teachings and Mary Baker Eddy, which preceded him. Not that I know of specifically, but they do have, they smack of some similar things. Although Mary Baker Eddy, their prophetess, does, has not te- taught, if you will, um, being transmitted to other planets and all of the bizarre stuff that we saw in regard to uh, Scientology. So here is their view, and I have some quotes from her writings of anthropology. Christian science, and this is Mary Ann Morse Baker Glover Patterson Eddy. Do you know why? She was married that many times. And some evidence points to her poisoning her husbands. Anyway, the Christian science movement has grown out of the teachings of Mary Baker Eddy and is also known as mind science, religious science, and divine science. Dealing in the metaphysical, including mesmerism, some of you are familiar with that, and animal magnetism. Their teaching denies material existence. Thus, man is only a spirit, not a physical being. They claim the concept of physical matter is an illusion. Man, this is a quote from Science and Health, page 475. Man is not matter. He is not made up of brain, blood, bones, or other material elements. Man is spiritual and perfect. And because he is spiritual and perfect, he must be understood so in Christian science. Man is idea, the image of love. He is not physique. End quote. Page 475 by Mary Baker Eddy in Science and Health. Here's another couple of quotes. There is no intelligent sin, evil, mind, or matter, and this is the only true philosophy and realm. That's page 38 in her writings called No and Yes. Here's another one. There is no life, truth, intelligence, nor substance in matter. All is infinite mind and its infinite manifestation, for God is all in all. Science and Health, page 468. Here's another one about man and his soul. Man originated not from dust, so they can't claim the Bible, I guess. Not from dust materially, but from spirit, spiritually. That's miscellaneous writings, page 57. Man is God's image and likeness. Whatever is possible to God is possible to man as God's reflection. Also in Miscellaneous Writings, page 183. So these are some other views of the origin of man. What about evolution? (laughs) I guess we have to talk about that one, don't we? Okay, evolution is a theory. It's not fact, you guys. We all know that. It can't be replicated, reproduced, It cannot be uh, proven, and of course, the right way to say it is it's a theory or hypothesis, and it teaches that man is the result of simple 
organisms becoming more complex. We were all taught that stuff. Evolution teaches that man is the result of simple organisms becoming more complex. For that to happen, it takes mutations accumulating over long periods of time. Time goes in that blank. And the good ones surviving by natural selection so as to form new subspecies, species, and families until mankind came into being. Uh, Juanetta has asked those who are in medical professions, have you ever seen a good mutation? The answer is no. Mutations are not good. They usually lead to what we would consider early death and things like that. At any rate, that's the basic concept of evolution, and you all know that the simple to complex and the mutations and the time, natural selection and so on. Let's read in Ryrie. So take your Ryrie book, go to page 101. By the way, I have my bookmark in here, and it's a picture of Dr. Ryrie with Dr. Kober about three months before Dr. Ryrie died, went to heaven. So it's my neat bookmark. (laughs) I like that. Okay, page 101. And right in the middle of the lower paragraph, that lower paragraph starts with, how did this supposedly happen? See that paragraph, page 101? There's the formula. Mutations plus natural selection plus time equals evolution. See that? We just talked a little bit about that. Let's go down toward the very bottom. There is a footnote number one. And that has to do with the Mendelian mutation. Anyway, let's go to that bottom paragraph, or bottom, I don't know, of the page. This is a basic and unsolved problem for evolutionists. Okay, that is the problem that mutations don't help, they hurt. (laughs) Anyway, he has to believe that somehow these new things were evolved. For example, a, frame, a famed anthropologist wrote concerning the development of the vertebrates from invertebrates. Here's a quote. All this is complicated, obscure, and dubious. Anyway, there evolved from the invertebrates a tribe of animals which, by hook or by crook, acquired backbones, end quote. And Dr. Ryrie wrote, that's faith. And not well-placed faith at that. (laughs) See that at the top of page 102? The fossil record, let's stay with this until we get down a little further. Top of page 102. The fossil record is the record that supposedly did happen. And if evolution is correct, it should show a gradual transition from the simplest to the most complex without systematic or regular gaps. And yet there is among the billions of known fossils a systematic absence of transitional forms between all higher categories of life. Links are missing just where we most fervently desire them and it is all too probable that many links will continue to be missing and That is a quote. Let me go to page 185. I dog-eared that page. 
That's from Alfred S. Romer in Genetics, Paleontology, and Evolution, published in New York by Anna, I don't even know that, Anthonyum in 1963, page 114. So anyway, um, that's that for right now. I do have some other books that I'd recommend to you, both by Henry Morris, okay? And a lot of you have heard of Henry Morris. This one is The Twilight of Evolution. And this one is a more recent publication by his grandson, Henry Morris III, Your Origins Matter. And they really do. Your Origins Do Matter. If the Bible isn't accurate in our origins, then it is not accurate in our salvation either. So so goes the concept. Anyway, let's go on, okay, about evolution. By the way, there's no clear idea where the first living cell came from in this construct, is there? See, the, by the way, on my, my notes under evolution, there's no clear idea where the first living cell came from in this construct. Number one, does the fossil record show evidence of this process? And I'll read a little bit more. I read pages 101 and 102. Well, I'm sorry, I already read that to us. Okay, so that's enough about that for now. Sorry about that. Yeah, does the fossil record really show evidence of this process? No, not really. What about the Nebraska man, the Piltdown man, the Peking man, and so on? You know, we, were, we grew up learning about these guys, didn't we? <clears throat> okay. After more study and more examination by paleontologists, the Nebraska man scientifically built up from one tooth and later found to be the tooth of an extinct pig. But in textbooks, the older ones, it still, of course, is considered a missing link or a a proof of this process or progress, if you will. What about the Piltdown Man? The jawbone turned out to be uh, to belong to a modern ape on, as far as the Piltdown Man goes. They did more study and it turned out genetically and in every way to be a modern ape jawbone. How about the Peking Man? They claimed he lived 500,000 years ago and all evidence of his bones, if you will, have, have disappeared. So there's nothing to examine today So the Peking man really should not show up in any honest textbook. How about Neanderthal? We've heard a lot about Neanderthal. I've known some, I think. (laughs) Anyway, the International Congress of Zoology in 1958, Dr. A.J.E. Cave, said that his examination of the famous Neanderthal skeleton found in France over 50 years before that so in 1908 or so, is that of an old man who suffered from arthritis. Or I've read elsewhere, rickets. That's Neanderthal. How about Cro-Magnon? 
I have some photocopies of the skulls, and it is actually a little bigger than mine. He would have worn a big hat size, probably like a eight, nine, or something like that. I mean, a nine-inch hat or whatever. One of the earliest and best established fossils is equal in physique and brain capacity to modern man. They they claim he was just a modern man with different, a little bit different features. Well, we all have a little bit different features. So at any rate, all of that breaks down, and yet it is, of course, included in textbooks to this very day. So I'd like to go on. That's a little bit about what about the uh, evidence, the Nebraska man, Piltdown man, Peking man, Neanderthal man, and Cro-Magnon and all of that. So um, Juanetta and I got to go to a debate at the University of Alaska Anchorage when we first moved to Alaska, and Dr. Dwayne Gish was scheduled to debate one of their professors of anthropology and paleontology. And you've heard of Dr. Henry Morris. He and Dr. Dwayne Gish wrote some of the first books in regard to creationism as a science and something uh, testable and provable, or I'm sorry, not necessarily provable, but testable and all of that. Anyway, you're, they, I know that Dwayne Gish did debate in over 100 universities across America and England and never lost a debate, not one. He wrote a book just because of who he was, titled From Fish to Gish. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's talk a little bit about theistic evolution. A lot of, a lot of Christians try to compromise with evolution and say, well, the Bible somehow gives us room for that or whatever. I'm not... The, the four main views are in Ryrie's book, okay? Let's go to page 103 in Ryrie's book. Okay, 103. The top of the page, um, the very first sentence that begins on the top of the page starts with, they are revelatory days. That would be the first view of the six days found in Genesis chapter 1. They're relevant. I've said that revelatory. They're, they're revealed about what happened here, and it's called a, a day. They're considered to be ages. Do you see that on the top of page 103? For the word day, yom, is used for of a long period of time in the Old Testament, like Joel 2, verse 31. The geologic ages can easily be placed into these um, age days, if you will. That's, that's the, the second one. The third one is they are seen as literal solar days, now measured by 24 hours, with huge time gaps between each day, so as to allow for the apparent long ages of geology. And the fourth, they are solar days that follow or that followed one another in succession without gaps. This view is supported by the presence of the phrase evening and morning with each day. And that 
is what I'll be teaching from that perspective, okay? The Bible says it, and that settles it. You know, there's an old saying, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, whether you believe it or not, the Bible says it, and that settles it. And so we accept that by faith. However, every other construct has faith involved as well. So that is, I would say this, the problems with theistic evolution stem from a pragmatic attempt to compromise, okay? A pragmatic attempt to compromise. What are some of the problems with theistic evolution? And there are many who hold to it. Even professors at Wheaton College hold to it. Um, Dr. Russell Mixter and there are some other proponents like Fuller Theological Seminary down in Pasadena, California and Westminster College of all things. Interesting. They hold to forms of theistic evolution. It is actually a false intellectualism. It does not satisfy evolutionists nor creationists or biblicists. It does not satisfy either. It's a false intellectualism. And it weakens our view of the Bible. Is the Bible real or not? And so theistic evolution has many problems with it. It satisfies neither evolutionists nor creationists. It, sub- it makes the sub- Bible subordinate to science is the, is the major problem. So there we have some... <laughs> which brings us to we need to get to the Bible. What does the Bible say? Okay, letter B, the biblical view. The truth of God's direct creation by fiat. Um, That is a Bible truth. The word fiat means by decree. Let's go to Genesis 1. Okay? By decree. God said it, and we'll see. Okay. By decree. Examples are Genesis 1. Verse 3, where it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. See that? Go to verse 6. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And if you get down, it was so. (laughs) And God called the firmament, verse 8, heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, verse 9, Let the waters let the waters. God said it. Under heaven be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God created by fiat, by decree. If you follow those verses, get down to verses 24 and 26 where it says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth a living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and the beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. God said it. By, by fiat, he decreed it, and it was so. When you get to verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created... Oh, I'm sorry, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And we'll get to some of these statements next week, but 
in our image, after our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. So the truth about the Bible, or the Bible truth is that God directly created by fiat. The second bullet. God did not start with any previously existing materials. He didn't. He created everything from nothing. Nothing. That's ex nihilo. Everything from nothing. The statements that say, let there be, and there was, show up many times in Genesis chapter 1. That testifies of this truth. Okay? What about the appearance of age? So many things in our world appear to be ancient. And what about when God created Adam and Eve in his, our, their own image, if you will? We're not going to discuss the Trinity right now. What about that? Did they, were they fully functioning adults? Did they have the appearance of going through the process of conception and then birth and then growing up to be adults? They had that appearance. The trees, of course, in Genesis chapter 1 that God created were fully developed trees bearing fruit. We see that evidence in so many places. Let's look at what Ryrie says of this on page 104. Um, while you're going to page 104, do you think Adam and Eve had belly buttons? Juanetta and I debated this for most of our marriage, and we finally agree. <laughs> she said, no, they didn't have belly buttons. Now she says, yeah, God created a lot of things with the appearance of the age or the appearance of some sort of development that they didn't have. So I say, yep, they must have had belly buttons, <laughs> even though they were never born physically like that, where there was an umbilical cord. So anyway, at the top of page 104, let's just read part of that paragraph that says number 5 on it. Page 104, number 5, the origin of the world by creative acts of God would most likely have included creating some things with the appearance of age. The Genesis account of Adam and Eve's creation indicates that they were, at the time of their creation, mature people who only appeared to have passed through the normal time-consuming process of growth, but who in reality had not. And then he talks about the trees. And let's go on down to the same is true of the food that fed the 4,000 and also the 5,000. Jesus created along the shore of the Sea of Galilee for his apostles... um, fish that had never been swimming. And he cooked them over the coals for his disciples after his resurrection, so on. Anyway, that's just something to ponder that we don't have time to really chase. But let's look at the third bullet on our handouts. God created, and that's the word bara, or bara, and made, asa, all that exists in the universe. God created it. It is all that exists in the whole universe. What does John 1, 3 say? All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
we accept that as truth. And it makes sense, too. It's more, there's more logic and reason behind it than many of the other constructs that we've been looking at. Okay, how about the fourth bullet? God formed, and that word formed is yatsar, and it means molded. Man from, not from any animal or creature. It's the idea of evolution doesn't fit, and we've already looked at Genesis 1, verses 24 through 28, basically. Look at chapter 2, verse 7. Genesis 2, 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. So you know what goes in the blank. It's the word soul. He didn't form us from any creature, previously existing creature. He formed us from the dust that he had already created. And that was in one day, the sixth day. And we hold to six days of creation. The word yam means a light a dark cycle. And, of course, when you get to Exodus chapter 20, God tells us that we should work for six days and rest for one. That's a commandment in the Ten Commandments. That'd be rough if it were thousands of years or whatever, and then we get a break. Anyway, it, the obvious is that it's an actual day. And the last bullet... Man is distinct from all other creatures. Go to 1 Corinthians 15.39. We're distinct from all other creatures. And I know that it's time to wrap up. So I'll let you finish this out. There is a testimony in Scripture of what we're talking about throughout. And I gave you several references. So the Bible assumes this truth from cover to cover. But let's look at 1 Corinthians 15.39, everyone. Okay, and then we'll pray and wrap up. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 39, and you'll see it without doubt. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, and another of fishes, and another of birds. No God created us distinct from all the other creatures. Next week when we look at several aspects of anthropology that go beyond this, we'll be looking at, of course, the Amago Dei, the image of God created in man. What is that? Is man bipartite, tripartite, or multipartite? How do we get our souls? I mean, Adam... And Adam received his soul directly from God when God breathed into his nostrils life and a soul. How do we get ours, though, nowadays? That doesn't happen to any of us. How, How do we get that? Anyway, so there are some concepts. I guess we better pray. Okay, we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together in your word. And I ask you that as we looked at this introduction to anthropology, we would recognize you are the author of all things and that you are the one, the cause of all things and the, one, the provider of our salvation. Father, thank you. May we never, never take for granted your incredible power and knowledge. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.